Today's TribCast is presented by Doctors Hospital at Renaissance. Advancing the health of the Rio Grande Valley. For you, for life. Learn more at dhrrgv.com and the James Beard Foundation. Join us for Taste America Weekend, November 2nd through 4th, with Chef Tyson Cole of Uchi, Chef Aaron Franklin of Franklin Barbecue, and many other culinary stars in support of the programs and missions of the James Beard Foundation. Learn more at jamesbeard.org slash events. Texas talking, oh, what was that that you said? Texas talking, ah, gonna hoop upside your head. Texas talking, tell me who can you trust when Texas guys are My name is Laura Moser. I'm running for Congress in Texas's 7th District, and I'd like to share a joke making the rounds this week. What do you call a small group of white men? A podcast. And without further ado, let me introduce you to the exception to the rule, your host, Emily Ramshaw. Thank you. This is Emily Ramshaw here with the Texas Tribune Tribcast for the week of, where are we, October 3rd, October 4th, something like that. Um, we are here with your weekly podcast on the biggest stories in Texas politics. I am joined by CEO Evan Smith. You're supposed to say I'm joined by CEO and fucking moron Evan Smith. I was waiting for that joke. I was going to give it to Ross. You should have done it. I'm not going to say whether I ever called him a moron Executive or not. editor Ross Ramsey, who may or may not have referred to Evan Smith as a moron in the past. Howdy. And investigative reporter Edgar Walters. Hey there. Not, not a moron. Definitely, definitely not a moron. Not a moron. All right, well, let's start since we already got the moron talk going with Rex Tillerson, who had a very important press conference this morning where we all thought for 10 seconds that he might resign. It was the Seinfeld press conference. It was a press conference about nothing. And we care about Rex Tillerson because he's a Texan, former Exxon CEO. UT distinguished alumnus. Right, well, some some people care more about that than others. Uh, (laughs) Ooh, fancy Northwestern. (laughs) Edgar likes Edgar's an alumnus. Edgar's a future distinguished alumnus. Edgar's actually even dressed in burnt orange today. What? This is red, right? There's no way this is burnt orange. Yeah, there's, I'm with him. It could totally yeah, be burnt he, orange. He, he might be from Oklahoma. Moving oh. on. I'm Todd Weissman. Apparently I'm colorblind. Uh, Rex Tillerson did not resign. And had a press conference to not resign. To an, well, he had an audience of one, and that was the president wow. who watches television. Right. I didn't watch. Did he? Did he address the moron thing? He, yes, he, was, he asked was asked about the moron thing, and he didn't deny it. I can't believe he agreed to take he questions. All right, so first so he comes. So <laughs> <laughs> did you call the president a moron? There's a squirrel. Look, a squirrel. I'm not going to talk about little stuff like that. Right. It was some line like he, that. He so said, what, I don't, I, I don't want to do petty stuff. I don't want to talk about stuff like that. NBC News Even had Even though it's pretty petty to call your boss a moron. He had. From um, personal experience. <laughs> basically decided to leave and was upset with things. And, you know, in order to scotch that rumor, he had this press conference for one. Well, and said, specifically you know, that he called the president a moron. We come to find out from MSNBC's reporting later that he hadn't just called him a moron. They say they have sources that he had actually called him a fucking moron. But the, <laughs> slightly uh, worse. Sli- only slightly worse. But the, the context of this was that Boy, uh, Boy Scouts of America speech that was panned wi- w- r- pretty widely right. uh, and that apparently Tillerson's response to the Boy Scout, if I remember the reporting from this morning's because, well, you know, it's like a thousand things have happened since Tillerson, then. a former board chairman of the Boy Scouts, and his father was an executive of the Boy Scouts. Not advised. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm so, not advised you know, had, some, had some ties there and, you know, just right. sort of it would be normal for somebody in that situation to slap his C- head. Can we talk about just the general weirdness of this last nine months for a moment? I know that we tend Jeez. to be in the midst of it. Yeah, but we've if never you step, talked about that. If you yeah. step back <laughs> right. from it, th- th- this is something else. I mean, the, the, what is now considered normal – 
is pretty amazing. Nothing is normal. Everything is terrible. I mean, this is just like a crazy, I'm not making crazy a quali- I'm not time. making a qualitative observation. I'm, I'm simply- making a qualitative observation. I mean, you know, like 59 or however many people got shot and killed two days ago. I mean, we are. And this- instead we're talking about uh, fucking morons and and uh, uh, rolls of paper towel being. Right. It's like you can't even. T-shirt And everything is so politicized that you can't even have like a legitimate conversation about this stuff. Edgar, a point of view? Um, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> We're I just mean, hazing it's, you. It's weird because I grew up in a generation where, I mean, I think... You're the Columbine generation. The, yeah, and, uh, well, that's true, where, like, mass shootings are not, like, I just feel very numb to them. I mean, it's, like, weird to say, but, yeah, yeah, completely desensitized. And the idea that things have, like, not ever been, like, partisan dysfunction... Like I don't, I don't know that reality. Like that's all, that's the politics I've grown up with. Mm-hmm. We go. we weren't like planning on talking about guns today, but I it's all I can really think about. So I do want to sort of talk about guns for a minute. Good. Evan's gonna let me self destruct here. I mean, I so obviously we I should have checked your social media before I hired you. Don't worry. Uh, obviously, we're in a state where you know this is a huge gun rights state. So, but I don't understand why the um, assault rifle conversation is even sort of part of the Second Amendment debate. I mean, to me, there's just it's just such a wide divide. And, and how come we can't have a conversation about the semi-automatic weapons without it being such a hyper-partisan debate? Because it was a big issue and a big political issue during the Clinton administration. Assault rifles were the center of the gun debate for a while. And, you know, I, I, I'm blanking on who had it, but somebody had two maps up um, that if you had only um, gun owners voting, Trump would have won all but one state. And if you had only non-gun owners voting, Clinton would have won all but mm-hmm. two states. You know, it's one it's of the like few. Like the Whole Foods Cabela's well, map. It's one of the few. It's one of the few issues <laughs> like that, that you know. Actually, people, you know, you know, people's views on various issues bleed over. You know, some Republicans on what appears to be a Democratic side, some Democrats on what appear to be a Republican side. Except guns is one of those issues where they don't. And it's a really hard line between red and blue here. And there's a really hard line so that you know, you know, a little bit to Edgar's point, you know, everybody's reaction to incidents like Las Vegas um, are largely scripted. You can write, you can almost write everybody's column. You can guess, you know, okay, here's the George Will column. Here's the Kathleen Parker column. Here's the Charles Kreithammer column. You you almost know what everybody's going to say by rote. Well, this is the political, that's the political reality answer. The the reality from a kind of the state of things in Texas right now answer is because liberty, Mm -hmm. right? This is a little bit like Annie Hall. I happen to have Jonathan Stickland right here, you know, and sort of bring him out. I mean, the reality is that the people who are in the liberty camp are going to tell you that the reason we have a conversation or should not have a conversation more accurately about assault weapons uh, is because because liberty, because why are we restricting people's uh, right to have access to these weapons? It's that, and I think, um, well, let me admit first here that I'm like pretty ignorant on guns, even though I did just get You're my perfect for this I podcast. My, <laughs> my um, license Concealed. to carry. You just got yeah. a CHL, huh? Um, LTC. Yeah, now an LTC because you don't is have to conceal it. Is it a license to carry or is it a license to get into the Capitol faster? Which, well, which, that, which oh, is the it? latter is probably more true for for my own personal experience. But um, but I, I am reminded of one of the very first stories I ever wrote for the Tribune as an intern back whenever was, um, you know, I interviewed someone for this. It was like a Christmas story, and it was 
I interviewed this guy who was participating in the Hunters for the Hungry program where you could go shoot a deer and basically donate it to the food bank and uh, and the state would pay you some money for it. And, um, <clears throat> you know, I asked him, like, what kind of gun do you use to shoot the deer? And he said an AR-15. And I just remember being like, what? Isn't that like... But I think so. Doesn't to that your take point the sport about, out like, of it? <laughs> yeah, but I think maybe to your point on like why do people even, why are these types of guns in the conversation? I think, I mean, mm. that's just like, part of the culture, where right? Does, like where people does, use them. Where does one person's liberty to like allow their kid to go to a concert without fear run into another person's liberty to carry an AR-15, or worse? Well, I mean, you know, right? Freaking here. Yeah. yeah, the argument is that, you know, and and you know this. I mean, the argument is, is it the gun or is it the crazy people? Um, but it, this guy wasn't even, I mean, the most remarkable thing for me about this particular story is that, like, he seemed like a total average Joe to everybody who knew him. There was nothing, there were no signs. Right, so, so this may, I mean, is this one of those things where, you know, this is obviously a terrible problem? Is this a problem you can solve with law? No, no, because anybody could just or have a mental breakdown. Well, well like let, let, let me let me observe that the answer is maybe, although I'm not saying that that's necessarily going to translate into law. But I thought there was an interesting analogy made. I feel like we we, we we're numb to Edgar's point. We're numb to this conversation. Right. We hear the same things over and over every couple of months. There's another mass uh, uh, killing or mass shooting. And there's a sort of vicious cycle of news stories and responses on social media and everything else and discussion of whether it's too soon or too late politically to talk about this. Something I heard in the last 24 hours that I actually had not heard of late was the analogy to the automobile. The automobile is itself in the wrong hands of weapon. And there are moments when uh, we talk about liberty in terms of automobiles. Do well, you requiring right. seatbelts or requiring that people not text while driving or what have you, or speed limits, yeah. right? But society and politics and government has gotten comfortable over time with the kinds of restrictions on liberty behind the wheel of an automobile that allow for the automobile to be used on the one hand by the because liberty crowd but on the other hand, protect those of us who are out here in the world. Mm -hmm. And when the exercise of that liberty is a threat to us, we say that's enough. And and so I heard – so somebody over the last day has made the argument that just as, as, as with cars, th there is a correct place to land that both protects liberty but also respects the fact that by using a car in a way – that is irresponsible, you put potentially other people at risk, and that maybe that's right. the conversation. That but, but, it's but that's just the conversation no one can have. <laughs> yeah, That's what I yeah. mean about it being so and politicized. Right. right, and it's complicated by the fact that the, that the Constitution predates cars, and so there is no Second Amendment right to bearing an automobile. I mean, It also predates AR-15s. Right. But when it's pointed out, though, that the Constitution imagined a very different world with the Second Amendment than the world we live in, what's the, what's the correct or proper response to that? But, right. you know, one of, the, one of the things that I wonder about this, um, you know, and people are creative and they could probably figure it out. I, d I don't know what set of laws would protect you from this kind of a thing. I mean, what, you know, but for what non-existing law would this not have happened? Can you well, get, I can think you people get... point to Australia as the counterexample. Well, Australia right? gathered up all the guns. They also right. find people for not voting. I'm actually kind of down with that. But um, <laughs> can you think? I was going to ask you, Ross. Can you think of a, an example of a politician in Texas being 
uh, defeated over this issue. And actually, the one that popped right in my head was Ann Richards. Did Ann Richards uh, in some way suffer politically in 94 against Bush? Yes. Sure, concealed handguns. Yes, it was right? concealed wasn't, handguns. Wasn't that sure. what it was? Right. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah. She, yep. um, absolutely. You know, and you see people flip. You know, Kevin Brady's father was killed by uh, someone with a handgun. And I did he not was, know that. Is he that was right? a no vote on a concealed handgun law when he was in the Texas House of Representatives, but has since come around on that and decided that he's on the other side of that. And I did not know a, that. He's in a program position. I mean, you know, it's it's politically perilous ground. And for the, for the reason I said, if you are a Republican, um, you know, Republican voters are on the Second Amendment side. Mm-hmm. And if you're a Democrat, they're on the other side. And if you're in a red state, Ann Richards, and you're with the blue voters, um, you get beat. I mean, that, was, that wasn't the only reason she lost that election, but that was one of the big reasons she lost that election. What was the, remember when Wendy Davis came yeah, out? Yeah, I was just going to yeah. mention this. I mean, didn't Wendy Davis on some questionnaire say that she was like for... She was pro-gun, and she yeah. she basically came back after the election and called... And she said it was a mistake. Deeply she, regretted Oh, that, that was yeah. that yeah. AP, there was an AP yeah. questionnaire right. that kind of came out and was a... Right, right. she said it was a, it was right. a moment. Was uh, I think she characterized it as a moment when the consultants won an argument with her, and she said okay. And right. It wished she wished Blamed it on the consultants. She hadn't done it. Yeah. It's probably right. I mean, they were probably having a council, and she was saying, "I'm against this." And they said, "No, you got to be for this. It's Texas. Right. You live in Texas. And if you're looking at a poll, that's that's what the poll would <laughs> Trying say. Trying to get any of those swing voters. You right. know, I mentioned to you earlier, just as a sort of side note, I'm so interested that my frame of reference, going back as many years as I do, and perhaps as you do, less fewer years in the rearview mirror for Emily and especially Edgar, that I always think about Whitman as the benchmark, and as the number of deaths with each of these successive events has pushed Whitman further down the list. I forgot, actually, that the Killeen right. incident George actually right. was more 23. fatalities than Whitman. Mm-hmm. Right. Whitman is now seventh, apparently, according to the USA Today list that I saw in the number of fatalities, um, uh, with Vegas now at the top of the list. But Killeen is like fourth or fifth. Right? Yeah, I feel like for my generation, it's you know Columbine and Virginia Tech are the two that are sort of seared into your brain. But I don't know. Maybe Columbine was even early for you. Yeah, it was. But I remember reading about it a lot in school. Mm-hmm. For me, right. it's, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, maybe I'll move us on from this. Hey, hey, since you mentioned Wendy Davis, could we just spend a moment reflecting on the fact that yesterday was the day that Wendy Davis got in the race four years ago and the Democrats still have Bupkis <laughs> happening? Bupkis is Bupkis. running. Bupkis from where? From <laughs> Honestly, at the mo- Bupkis would be an improvement over what they actually have. You know, <laughs> like Bupkis leather bar. That's what they. <laughs> Boy, this conversation took a turn, that's, didn't it? That campaign, <laughs> campaign went negative faster than No, that's the that's the Democratic nominee's thing. He owns a leather bar. I mean, oh, not oh, the party oh, you know, oh, oh, I see. You I'm mean the actual the, person. Yeah, the actual Democrat oh, yeah. running. Actual oh. Bupkis. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> Bupkis leather bar? What kind of a name for a candidate is that? Um, still, they've got nothing going on. And is, are they going to have anything going on? I don't think a credible Democrat is going to jump in this race. I mean, they've had time to jump in this race. Are they sitting out all of 2018? They've had time to examine this thing and say, okay, A, is there a perceived weakness in the Republican incumbent? B, is there some kind of, you know, structural weakness? You know, does he not have money or anything like that? You know, Greg Abbott's pretty strong shape and has $40 million. Mm -hmm. And you have to look at that and say, is that the best chance a Democrat has to run for statewide office in Texas? Probably not. So they're looking at, you know, Beto's looking at Ted Cruz. So you've got the Beto O'Rourke-Ted Cruz race. Um, And then as you go down the ballot, the two weakest 
potentially weakest candidates are Ken Paxton, the attorney general who's under indictment. Um, he's also the potentially strongest candidate for right. the same reason. Um, and Sid Miller, who's spent a lot of time in the headlines. But I, you know, I've said here before, I don't think Sid Miller's in trouble because the way the product inside the box is performing is just what the content said on the outside. I'm just wondering, though, about the political environment, which is the political environment out in the country is so uncertain. And the president and the presidential administration are in such a constant state of flux and chaos that one would imagine under normal circumstances, Democrats would would see an opportunity to put a warm body Mm -hmm. up in each of these cases in the event that everything comes crashing down around the Republican incumbents. I, you this know, is how the Texas Republicans. Sorry. This is how the Texas Republicans did it. The last did time the they Democrats did. had a straight sweep in Texas was 1982, and the Republicans had, you know, arguably strong candidates in every one of those races. So, is there still any uh, any chance with the Castro brothers? I mean, they'd been talking about Joaquin as a possibility. I think you know it's well, it's not impossible. It's late. I'm curious about the 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 rumored candidate who was mentioned in um, the Chronicles piece on this. this Michael week. Sorrell. The, he's the Paul Quinn College, right, mm-hmm. right, um, yeah. president. I mean, he's been rumored for a while, but I haven't heard. Yeah. Seen he's any a very movement. dynamic uh, uh, per- person. I mean, we. He's I, a great. I, he's a great biographer. I know him. Really we know him. He's story. been at the Tribune Festival mm-hmm. for a number of years in in a row, including uh, this year. Uh, he almost once bought the Memphis Grizzlies. Um, he is he wealthy. I don't know like that he he's, almost once bought. The well, but he was Grizzly part of a, he was part of a group. He was part of a he was part of a group. You know, put up five he, he was he was close to the Obama administration, if not uh, to the president himself. He was a bundler for the president one of the elections, if not both. My point is, could he self-finance? I am certain he could not self-finance. Well, I mean, it's very late to raise this. But in an market. environment in which the incumbent has forty-one million, according to the last filing report, July. I right. mean, you could probably more than that now. Right. How you self-finance unless you're Tony Sanchez? Well, the only advantage for a Democrat now is that you've got until November. You don't have to run. Necess- you don't run. You're not running Greg Abbott in March. Right. I just think Abbott's. You know, yeah. of all the Republicans on the ticket, that's the hardest one. It's nine weeks until the filing deadline. I mean, look from the party's perspective, one could. Im- I remember years ago, Paul Steckler, the documentary filmmaker, and former political consultant, strategist, what have you, media strategist. Uh, saying, well, this is long ago, what the Democrats ought to do is they ought to put Rafael Anchia, this is how long ago this was, Rafael Anchia was the hot young thing, as opposed to the Call warm the old thing. You. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, Rafael Anchia, but Rafael Anchia called you a warm old thing. On the back, <laughs> with affection. Uh, they ought to put Rafael Anchia on the, I'm never going to get out of this, am no. I? No, <laughs> They should put Rafael Anchia on the back of a flatbed. I am a fucking moron after all, it turns out. Um, put Rafael Anchia on the back of a flatbed truck, no uh, jacket on, sleeves rolled up, tie loosened, just making his way from one end of the state to another, talking about public education. This was the Paul Steckler articulation of the opportunity for Democrats. Is you're not going to get more than the model? well, theoretically, well, you're not going to get Ken- the Kennedy model. Son, you're not going to get more than still qualify him as a hot young thing. Right, I was uh, you know a hot to, fucking to young be thing. like Zachary yeah. Taylor. I remember <laughs> Zachary Taylor as a hot young thing. Right. Uh, the idea was that you, you're going to get the same 42 or 43% that a statewide candidates typically get, but at least you're going to go out there and you're going to make an argument. Even if you don't win the election, you win the argument. Mm-hmm. And there but is a— Who wants to do that? But there's a version right. of that now. Well, look, the, the, you could make an argument that the O'Rourke candidacy is in part born of the reality of the pledge that he made when he first ran that he was term limiting. Mm-hmm. Right. He has nothing left to lose except one term in all likelihood in the minority in the House. Right. And then he's off. 
And so since he was going to be out of the house anyway, what the hell run the race that you would otherwise run under perfect circumstances with nothing to risk? It's an experiment. Right. And so could you not draft somebody? I know that Erica Greeter has been batting her baby blues at uh, Pancho Navarro's in this respect on social media, trying to get Pancho Navarro's to be this person. Could you get somebody out of the house, uh, an energetic, somebody who knows how to make a fist, to just sort of jump off and say, F it, I'm going to go run mm-hmm. on the back of a flatbed truck for, for whatever period of time. And just and I know I'm going to lose, but I'm going to make the case. And right. then be the recipient of some unanticipated calamity politically down the road you, if, if such a thing should occur. You've got a, there's a difference between a Beto O'Rourke type of challenge and a Gary Morrow type of challenge. Gary Morrow was the land commissioner who challenged – uh, George Bush in his reelection run. You want to talk about Bupkis Leatherbar? Well, but he couldn't put together. <laughs> right. he, you know, he, he, did, he got like thirty six percent. He ran, he he ran essentially the race you're talking about. Right. You know, somebody has to be here and somebody has to put up the good fight. And he didn't have enough money. He had four or five million dollars, and he got well under forty percent when it came time mm-hmm. to vote. You know, the argument that a an O'Rourke can make is this is probably not a winner. This is probably not going to happen. But Cruz has some. Um, deficiencies that were exposed in the presidential race. And O'Rourke has some ability to raise money that others don't because Cruz now has um, Democrats riled in 49 states who might send, you know, 10 or 15 bucks. By the way, an example of this, I know you want to move on. An example is Trey Martinez Fisher. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, he's hanging around. Right. Put me in, coach. Right? Yep. Right. Uh, Lisa wants to know on Facebook, so what does it even matter who runs if these districts are so gerrymandered that, you know, Democrats don't have a shot? We're not talking about gerrymandering. We're talking about about statewide races. Mm. Um, You know, the the gerrymandering thing is a whole different issue. And there's one congressional seat. There's zero Senate seats. And there are, you know, probably eight to 10 or 11 seats in the Texas House that are still legitimate, could go D or R, depending on the day. Mm Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, just a reminder, if you're tuning in on Facebook, you can shoot questions our way. Edgar, I want to talk about your scoop this week about what sounds like some pretty serious unrest inside the state's Health and Human Services Commission. Uh, some big name folks who've left. You heard a lot of scuttlebutt. What did you learn? Um, I learned that, like everything else, healthcare is deeply politicized these days. And um, frankly, it's left a lot of people who are sort of in charge of running the state's healthcare public health care system like really pissed i mean i knew that there was a story here when you know suddenly people who i had wanted to speak to for years as the health care reporter who had never spoken who had to never <laughs> agreed to talk to me were suddenly calling me right mm-hmm. and so their their complaint basically is you know the politicization of the top they think the the new agency newish agency commissioner appointed by governor abbott uh has his thumb on the scale yeah, I mean, th- it, basically, they the number one complaint I think is that um, that this that the health that the Health and Human Services Commission, which has always been an executive agency, really now feels more like an extension of the governor's office. Um, and in the current political climate, I mean, that agency does a lot of things, but I think its biggest thing that it does is it run Medicaid, mm-hmm. and that's the our healthcare system for the poor and disabled in the right. state. Um, but Medicaid is a bad word, um, at, at least if you're a, polit- an, a Republican politician and you've been criticizing Obamacare for years, which, you know, had a lot to say about expanding Medicaid and offering more subsidized health care to more people. Um, and what are the examples they they would say of sort of politicized decision making inside an agency that wasn't used to that? Sure. There are a couple things that 
kept coming up, um, decisions that have been sort of approved by the executive commissioner that people say would never have been approved under somebody who knew the agency a little better or had been there at least long enough to know. And so one of those was, you know, there's this big contract given to the Heidi Group, which is an anti-abortion group, um, you know, politically connected, which recently saw its funding scaled back because it was supposedly going to, like, serve it was going to provide women's health to like all these clients, but hasn't actually been able to do that. Um, you know, sort of seen as like the anti-Planned Parenthood. Mm-hmm. Um, other things, you know, ki- Texas was supposedly going to kick Planned Parenthood out of Medicaid. Um, you know, that was under the previous Inspector General Stuart Bowen. He kept promising that that was going to happen. It's tied up in court because we don't, you know, there hasn't the state hasn't so far I think right. shown any evidence that they can kick Planned Parenthood out, just that they want to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah. all these things are things that have happened sort of under an ad- administration that they perceive as being more involved. I mean, was so were appointees under Rick Perry? Like, not, I mean, what's different now with Abbott than with previous governors who were, you know, maybe even more outspoken than Abbott was on some of these social issues? Well, if you look at who the previous commissioners were, by and large, I think they came up within the agency. They had been... They had in, subject matter expertise. Right. They were, yeah, exactly. Right. Well, Kyle Janik is an anesthesiologist. Eduardo Sanchez was a doc. Tr- Chris Trailer had been the head of, head of Medicaid, head of Medicaid, yeah, right? Mike McKinney was a doctor. Mm-hmm. Albert Hawkins yeah. had great, you know, and deep budget and... What is Charles experience. Smith's background? He came, he was um, close with Abbott at the Attorney General's office. He oversaw the Child Support Division. Right. He ran the Child Support Division, which is a big division and had a big contract that was con- quite controversial. That's a $100 million contract that bounced from but one that work doesn't necessarily suggest that one is in line to head the health agency well i mean the argument was and is that he had run a large administrative department within an agency and you know had some administrative chops for this you know one of the complaints over at health and human services is that they've got a brain drain going on yeah i mean he doesn't have he doesn't have subject matter expertise which i think is fine if you have deputies and you can deputize, you can sort right. of delegate. Have extreme say, subject matter and, expertise, exactly. Right. But I mean, who are the subject matter experts <laughs> um, in healthcare policy? Like government bureaucrats? Mm-hmm. They're and you had a list of people who were leaving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, dozens of high-level staff have left. More are supposedly leaving. I've heard from some mm-hmm. other folks. Um, I think it comes down to a political conflict. I mean, these people who are subject matter experts, they get into this line of work probably because they're bleeding heart liberals and they <laughs> believe in right. public service and want to sort of, they believe in the mission to like provide health care. Or expand to, Medicaid, you know, give more people access, I guess, to these yeah, to government run programs. programs. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think, yeah, it's kind of that mini conflict, which maybe has existed forever now with polarizing figures in place I think is really bubbling over and yeah we're seeing really an exodus of talent at the agency what so how does Abbott respond to any of this because obviously people have been very critical Abbott has really stuck by um, Charles Smith you know they have a long history Um, Abbott appointed him sort of in the interim once when Chris Trailer retired and then reappointed him, you know, and then what his spokesman told me for the story was basically like, we think he's done an excellent job. He didn't comment on any of the specific allegations of, you know, the governor's office is pulling strings and ordering. Mm-hmm. But I think his statement was that 
you know, basically we we've, we've seen some really good results and we're really happy. So Well, I mean, one of the specific areas outlined in your story was the response to Hurricane Harvey and making sure people, you know, were getting their Medicaid benefits um, after the storm. I mean, has there been a problem there? I mean, yeah, that's what uh, prov- yeah, providers recipients of those benefits and a lot of long like long-serving staff basically said yeah there were a lot of problems with the hurricane response and maybe some of it comes down to there's you know there's also i think a similar phenomenon going on under trump's health care new health care administration a lot of career staff many of his administration yeah yeah (laughs) or folks who had no experience in their particular realms or coming in you know to brand new jobs and and trying to keep the peace Right. Like Rex Tillerson. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. To bring it full circle. Um, Well, speaking of the hurricane response, uh, Ross, tell us a little bit about what happened this week when Governor Abbott met with uh, Sylvester Turner, the mayor of Houston. These two guys have sort of been at odds over uh, Harvey response and funding and whether to use the rainy day fund or not. And when it seemed like they had sort of a kumbaya moment after a week of sparring. Well, they had sort of a kumbaya and, you know, you know, if you're into political optics, Sylvester Turner had a big win. You know, he said, I'm going to have to raise taxes if the state can't come through with the money to help us with this. And the state initially said, no, that's crazy. You don't have to do that. You have all the money you need. And then the governor came in with a $50 million check. And Sylvester Turner said, wow, with this $50 million, I don't have to raise taxes. Right. So uh, he is winning. He is wild E. Coyote super he, genius, you know, isn't he? Yeah, Sylvester he Turner to, was the Couldn't vice, he get that money anyway? He was the vice Chairman, Chairman of Appropriations for a House very long time. Committee and a member of the conference committee. He knows state Dude budget knows how well this works. Yeah, he brought an abacus onto the House floor all the time. Right. I mean, that was and his thing. You know, he's got he's got genuine chops in this area. It was one of those things where the governor basically was in a position he couldn't maintain. And, you know, he brought a check and got it behind him. But yeah, the, the other thing that happened, actually, since we were last recording our podcast, was John Sharp weighed in on this dispute by saying basically they're both right, mm-hmm. right, right. You know, T- Turner is right that we need rainy day fund money. Abbott is right that we don't have to have a special session to access it. It's going to be spent it now or spend it later, but we're going to be yeah, spending it. Except air by chill. Yeah. Well, this did get confused for a minute because you know Turner's initial ask was you know you should get into the rainy day fund and give us this money, and Abbott said no, and Turner said I'll have to raise taxes. There's two subjects there. One of them is can we have money, and the other one is where are you going to get the money. But Abbott said he was and open to tapping the rainy day fund. He just wanted to wait until 2019. It's to really do it. just a cash flow question. Right. Are you going to tap it right. today and go into it today and pull money out, or are you going to use other money mm-hmm. and use the rainy day fund later to replenish? Th- this has happened on the education side. Mike Morath, the commissioner right. of education, right. said right. to me during the Tribune Festival that for, for, for a number of the schools, the issue has not so much been whether they're going to get the money, but on what timetable. Right. Mm-hmm. And he said one of the things that TEA has managed to do is to speed up payments to schools and to districts that were taking displaced students. Right. I mean, that, it doesn't sound like, though, that that Sylvester Turner couldn't have gotten that money if he just, you know, went through normal channels and asked Abbott for it. I think Abbott needed to sort of do this as a, as a big, flashy sign, you know, a $50 million yeah. check. At the end of the deal, he gets, you know, Sylvester Turner asked for money and got it. Yeah, right, mm-hmm. exactly. And it was a normal size check. It wasn't even one of those, like, novelty checks. <laughs> yeah. yeah, big publishers. Like, you take, won. Yeah. Balloons I mean, come Joe and, uh, asks on Facebook, I mean, you know, if, if Abbott hadn't provided that turn, Turner that money in this sort of public way, could it have hurt his reelection chances? I mean, does he, you know? You know, I think that in a year, you know, when you're going into the November elections, how each of the people that's responsible has handled Harvey is going to be one of the questions. And if it's gone really well, that's going to be great. And if it hasn't gone very well, it's going to be terrible. That's interesting. See, I have been wrestling with this question, like, 
do will people remember Harvey in 2019 when it comes time? Oh, to there are going to be plenty of commercials season. with the governor, presumably, and I don't think he this means is in the special session or in the le- uh, 2019 legislative. But session. either way, I mean, I'm yes. curious. Oh, does oh, it have well. staying yeah. power? I think it yeah, does think it because does. this is all they're going to talk about between now and then. What's once your, in a thousand year, or once in right. an, an ever store. What's, yes, what's I mean, the status of the repair to your house, to your road, to your building mm-hmm. in a year? And if they can do all of that repair in a year, a that's pretty spectacular mm-hmm. uh, if but if, if people feel like you know government heels have been dragged here the owners of those shoes are going to be in trouble yeah, but i also think that the reverse is undeniably true which is that the the people who have been in charge of the rebuilding and recovery are going to be selling in a very subtle way and in a way that's not politically gauche mm-hmm. but it's probably politically deft well, and i think abbott's you know so you know, far abbott's had a had pictures a, of elected really officials in disaster and, wear right exactly mm-hmm. disaster know. casual right. to the extent yeah. that anybody <laughs> in the governor's political staff was worried about you know i don't know dan patrick they're not worried about him anymore they've got you know he's the, the guy con- who's the conversation on every now. subject i swear to god every <coughs> subject is now b- bending in the direction of harvey mm-hmm. right politics policy budgeting Right. Everything is now about. The I've just seen such a hesitance to draw money out of the rainy day fund. I wonder if in 2019, if it, if this still feels politically urgent. Depends on how much money <coughs> they get from the feds. They're not going to have enough money not to get into the rainy day have, fund. They have, they have no choice. I mean, that federal money is going to be spread so thin. Now I frankly that think that the next budget cycle, the one that begins September 1st of 2019, is going to suck so bad as a consequence of all of this. I just think that there are going to be Medicaid untold, untold so ways, untold ways in which the economy of the state are going to be. Uh, will will suffer or be softening, and uh, areas of policy <coughs> where the amount of money that's going to need be be needed to spend is going to be significant. I just think we're going to that that will be a story to be told at some point, but that the next session is going to be a bear. Mm-hmm. All right, well, that's all the time we have. If you like listening to the TribCast every week, please do us a favor and leave us a review on iTunes. Those ratings help us reach more listeners like you. And if you support the Trib's nonprofit, nonpartisan newsroom, please consider making a donation at support.texastribune.org. Thanks to Shiny Ribs for our music. And on behalf of Evan, Ross, Edgar, and our producers, John and Julia, this is Emily. Thanks for listening. What am I? What am I being restrained? Like I'm at Sh- Shelter Island? What the fuck is this?